Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Lowe's. A blazing fire under the body of the nitro-powered Toyota Camry of Alexis DeJuria, and this is as bad a fire as you're ever going to see. On this episode, it's NHRA Chief Starter Brad Hardy and Funny Car Pilot Matt Hagan. Eric Anders is your 2020 Pro Stock World Champion in stunning fashion. We're talking Topeka Staging and Brainerd. Scotty's out on Andrew at 1,000 feet. It's Scotty Polachek for the first time in his career. This is the NHRA Insider. Tony Schumacher. Wow, what an appropriate way to end this one. 28 10,000s at the strike. An instant classic final round. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Loans, and we are back for another episode as we continue on through this NHRA Camping World Drag Racing season. Coming off a a wild weekend in Topeka, Kansas, which we'll be talking about uh, on a couple of different levels here, and we'll be moving in, of course, to Brainerd, Minnesota this weekend, and that's uh, really going to be the primary basis of the conversation with Matt Hagan. But uh, when we talk about Brainerd, uh, rather, when we talk about Topeka, we certainly have some things to mention. We have the, the Force double up the very first time that John Force and one of his daughters have actually won on the same weekend. So that's an amazing milestone. And uh, it was something that eluded me at the end of our show. You know, we talk about John Force Racing doubling up. And it is funny that it has usually been Robert and uh, and Brittany or it has been you know, some combination of anybody other than John. So what is uh, what is wild is the fact that uh, it's the first time that they've ever done that. It was a special moment for them, and certainly a, a big moment for Brittany Force and the entire Monster Energy Top Fuel team, which uh, became one of only two competitors to beat Steve Torrance in the early rounds and then win the race this year, maybe establishing themselves as that challenger that we've been waiting to see step up from uh, the masses to really give Steve Torrance a run for his money. Now, obviously, that run for his money is not going to include taking away the number one point spot from him. But when we get to the countdown in just a couple of weeks, it will certainly prove to be interesting to see who can keep the pressure up on the Capco contractors team and to see if they're going to win another title and to see in what fashion they will be doing that in. Brittany had a good race uh, out there in Topeka, Kansas. No two ways around it. She drove well. The car was on point. And we go to Brainerd, Minnesota, where the conditions will be in the ballpark of what we saw in Topeka, not going to be overly hot. Uh, racetrack should be moderately, you know, temperatured, if you will. So that should provide some great performance numbers over the course of that particular weekend. Nitro Funny Car continues to be an, an absolute uh, toss-up as to who's going to establish themselves as a leader in terms of um, domination or dominance in the category. The points lead seems to change every single race now. Bob Tasker the third held onto it for a number of weeks before. Um, you know, before it kind of eroded from underneath them. And since then, we've seen Ron Caps have it. John Force has left the building with it in uh, in Topeka, Kansas. So, you know, this week, and we're going to talk to Matt about this, but your top six cars are only separated by 68 points. And obviously, we have the countdown reset coming after Indy, and there are reasons why you want to be number one. But um, we could see almost an unprecedented, unprecedented scenario where somebody finishes sixth and ends up further out in the countdown than they would have been without a countdown points chase, you know, and there are others, a seven, eight, nine, ten cars are going to be benefited by that reset of points. It's going to snug them back up again. So anything can happen here over the next couple of weeks for sure. Um, in both of those categories and, and really specifically in funny car, it's going to be awesome to, to watch and just see the, the drama play out 
who can win? You know, Hagen has never won in Brainerd. He's going to be trying to do that uh, this weekend. And if he's able to win, there's a chance that he leaves with the points lead, depending on who goes late in the rounds and who goes out early and all the other stuff. I mean, you look at a guy like Caps went from number six to number one in the span of like a week. So anything is possible, certainly still in funny car. And then, of course, we get to pro stock. And, you know, the pro stock race was a good one. Um, it was fun to see Dallas Glenn get his second and get his first two wide win, something that he had really been chomping at the bit for. Came close in Sonoma, but he ran into Aaron Stanfield, and Stanfield stopped him. But no one was able to stop him in Topeka. And the Rad Torque Systems Camaro with, of course, Summit Racing's help and KB Racing was able to uh, to get the job done. Greg Anderson went out earlier in the round, so uh, he lost to Kyle Koretsky, I should say, in the semifinal or second round. He lost to Kyle Koretsky, so his quest to 97 continues. And the biggest story of pro stock coming out of Topeka, Kansas, was, of course, Bruno Massel and Mason McGahey uh, refusing to stage their cars in the first round, sitting in pre-stage for some three and a half minutes after their burnouts, after the wheelie bar adjustments, after the cars had been running for a while, they sat there for three and a half minutes in pre-stage before starter Brad Hardy backed them out, shut them off, and disqualified them. And there's been an incredible amount of discussion about this situation over the course of uh, now three days or four days. And the opinions vary wildly. Some people are on the side of Brad Hardy, the starter, saying that he did the right thing. Other people are saying he should have just let him sit there until they you know, melted the, the engine blocks down. Um, the teams themselves, I've, I've spoke to some folks involved in, uh, in this thing, and the engine guys were thankful that neither driver tried to make a run because it would have likely ruined both engines. They had barely enough fuel to stay idling, uh, and it, it is fairly certain that neither of them would have had enough fuel to make it to the finish line under power. And for those of you that know engines, especially ones that are built on the ragged edge, like a naturally aspirated 1500 horsepower engine, uh, if you run one of them dead lean at full throttle, as it's working as hard as you can go, the temperatures rise exponentially in the cylinders, and then you cause and can cause some really horrendous damage. So um, the disqualification part of it, I think, is what threw most people for a loop. The back them out part of it was what about everybody expected you know you back the guys out but then it, they were notified of the disqualification and um, there are people who have questioned Brad Hardy's decision making process on this and even the whole process uh, in general and so that is why Brad's going to be our first guest on this show and this is an interview that if you follow NHRA on uh, Facebook or Twitter you may have actually heard this conversation already because it was set to video and run on Facebook and Twitter the other day. If you don't follow there, then you're going to hear Brad Hardy in just a couple of minutes describe this situation from his perspective, why he made the decisions he did, and even some of the inside baseball. I asked him about who he was talking to in the starting line, what the race control was saying in the into his ear, what he was saying to them. Uh, it really does take it down to a level that I'm not sure we've ever had a starter talk about before, which is a good thing. It lets you in the process and lets you on understand what his decision-making process was not that you have to agree with it because I know two guys it still will never uh, until they 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 were put in their grave agree with what happened on Sunday but uh, if you have an opinion out there and you want some more information well you're going to be getting it in just a couple of minutes one last note on Brainerd, Minnesota. When we go up there, uh, it is always one of the most fun races of the season, one of the most interesting venues we go to, certainly one of the most interesting places in the country. Central Minnesota is a beautiful place. It's uh, kind of a vacation land uh, environment where there's lakes and all kinds of uh, all kinds of old school resorts and stuff like that up there so when we go to Brainerd um, and it's the first time obviously since 2019 we've been there it's it's cool I've seen people commenting that you 
legitimately cannot get a hotel room within an hour of the racetrack right now. So I'm hoping that's an indication of uh, what's to come in terms of our crowd size. It was uh, fun to see the crowds we had in Topeka, especially on Saturday. But uh, this Brainerd crowd is diehard, and uh, they typically jam the place tight. A note. On Friday evening, we will have qualifying live, a rare Friday night qualifying show for us on FS1. That is at 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern. You'll watch Nitro Funny Car and Top Fuel qualifying. And then our final qualifying show will air on Sunday on FS1. And the race itself will once again air on the Fox Broadcast Network. So you're going to want to tune in to your local Fox affiliate on Sunday afternoon to watch that. Once again, the race will not be on FS1 on Sunday afternoon. It will be on your local Fox affiliate, same place you watch the NFL as we're on this run of network shows that uh, began in Pomona, continued through Topeka, continues to Brainerd, and of course continues to the U.S. Nationals, which is the next race on the schedule. All right, so that's enough blabbing for me. I'm gonna I'm gonna take you right now into the interview with Brad Hardy. So forgive the kind of dual introduction here, but this was the setup I had with Brad yesterday, and you're gonna listen to his perspective on the now infamous Topeka Pro Stock Burndown. Here we go. All right, so we've been able to catch up with chief starter of the NHRA, Brad Hardy, a guy who was uh, quite literally in the center of the storm over the course of the last weekend when we were racing in Topeka, Kansas. Hey, Brad, how you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that your phone's been a little bit busier this week than it has in other weeks. <laughs> oh, that's a fact for sure. <laughs> so um, obviously we've heard from the different drivers. We've heard from kind of people on social media, other people that weren't even involved in the thing, kind of giving their opinions about it. And I'm not really looking for your opinions as much here as as much as I am looking for your your kind of process and, and what was going on in your head. So I guess naturally the first question here is when Mason and Bruno both, you know, went into pre-stage, how long did it take you to realize that something was going on here? Well, it seems like an eternity, but 10 seconds on that starting line seems like an hour when you're sitting there with race cars running. But I'd say it was probably a good 45 seconds to a minute into it that I realized that they weren't going to go in and they needed help going in because they weren't going to do it on their own. That's a fact. And, you know, when we look back and we kind of watch what was what was what was done on the starting line, we can see that both you and your assistant Weston did motion them in early. Yeah, I mean, um I was calling to the tower to find out exactly where we were at because I didn't have a stopwatch on it and uh Rob was filling me in, you know, where we were at on time wise. Uh but uh it just got to the point to where we had to make a decision that, you know, it's going to turn into a safety issue when the cars start overheating and fluids coming out of the car. Then you could potentially have someone getting into some fluid out of the car, get into an accident or something. So we're to come to the decision that, Hey, it's time. Either you go or you're not going to race at all. And, and clearly they didn't race at all. They did not go in. And then uh, it was, I don't know, maybe 10 seconds after that, that you made the decision to, to shut them off and back them up. Now, I guess here's where the story really gets interesting from from the perspective of, of everyone that's lobbied an opinion at it is I think a lot of people expected, okay, they're going to get sent to the back of the line and they'll come back and get another shot at it. So let's talk about that decision. And obviously the rule book very clearly states that the starting line, uh, this situation and staging is at the absolute and sole discretion of the of the starter. So, talk to me about the the DQ, the not giving them you know a second chance type deal. Well, it's just, I mean, there's just so much variables that come in situation. I mean, we have seconds to react to something out there that everyone has the next ten years to pick apart. We have 
you know, we had to make a harsh decision. Turn to race, it's no different qualifying. If your car won't start when you roll into the water box for qualifying, we're not going to put you in the next pair. That was your spot. That's when you need to run. If you're not going to run then, go back to the trailer. And that's solely what it was based on. It has nothing to do personally with anyone. It's based on facts and rules, and that's what we went by. And, you know, one of the things I think is interesting, Matt Hartford uh, made a comment, and, you know, a bunch of the pro stock drivers have kind of checked in, and they said Hartford, and several of the drivers that have checked in believe that the disqualification was the correct, um, you know, was the correct move, so to speak. And he said, well, you know what, if you if you would allow these guys to do it, then somebody would probably end up doing it on purpose at the next race. Was in the moment, is there any thought of that? Or in the moment, is it solely like we need to deal with this situation right now and then move on? Uh, nothing like that ever crossed my mind. The only thing that was going through my mind was, how am I going to get these two guys to stage? And I don't think the good Lord himself could get either one of them to go in at that point. <laughs> Um, you know, some other things, uh, Weston, who's the guy you work with, or one of the guys you work with on the starting line, people have, that have watched the video, they said, oh, there's this guy with a beard who's talking to Brad up there. Uh, can you take us a little bit inside baseball here? When Weston was approaching you and kind of uh, either hollering or I don't think he was whispering in your ear, what was that conversation? He was just keeping – he had his watch on him, and he was letting me know where we're at time-wise. And he just let me know, hey, we're approaching three minutes. You know, it, he was just basically helping me out since I didn't have anything to know where we're at. Weston was doing that for me there you go and you know I think one of the other questions people have had that you could answer is uh was there anybody at race control like was there any obviously you were inquiring with Rob Park who's the division director and by by proxy of that the race director for the event you were communicating with him regarding time but was there any sort of directive from race control for you to, for you to, to chop him at that point or really was it it was on your shoulders and it was your decision to make at that moment uh, they they left it all up to me. Uh, they paid me to do a job, and they trust me to do it. And basically said, "All right, you know, it's time to make a decision." And my decision was, "It's time to stop playing the games. You're not going in, so now we need to push you off and get two cars up here that are going to go down the track." It was pretty wild, and it was something because I think we've all seen you know a staging duel here or there, but I've never in 20 years of gone drag racing, I've never actually seen two people physically refuse to stage against each other. I mean, when we get into the nitro classes, this, this honestly, this situation can't happen because the cars would melt into a puddle by that time. And you're not giving a nitro car three minutes to sit there, but because these cars have cooling systems, there's a little more forgiveness. Uh, you've been a starter for a lot of years. You, you grew up at the racetrack. You've been involved in drag racing your whole life. Uh, whether you were a starter or a guy in the stands, have you ever seen this happen? And after it happened, or even on Sunday night, could you still kind of believe that you got stuck there or what? Well, realistically, I have actually been through this scenario before. It happened at a point race in Salt Lake City. We had two top sportsman cars based on the same scenario that would not go in and stage. It didn't matter what we said, what we did, and ultimately the decision was to shut them off and send them back, and they were DQ'd right there on the spot the same way it happened. So it's not the first time I've been through this, but like I said, this one, it just, it was very exaggerated. It was, it was, and it was, uh, it has everybody talking and, and I know there's, uh, there's headaches that can be that about people talking, but also I think it's great, man. It's, uh, we always need a little something to keep the, keep the, the straw stirring the drink. And this will, this will be interesting when those two guys have to race each other again, maybe at the U S nationals. And, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what they try to do to each other, <laughs> or maybe what they try to do to you. <laughs> As a fan, 
I enjoyed it. I really did. But you get to that point to where, okay, the games are over. We've got to race. You guys got to go in and race. But like I said, if I was up in the grandstands, I'd have been cheering just as hard as everyone else was. Yeah, it's crazy, man. And it's one of those jobs. Uh, you know, the starter job with NHRA is one of those is one of those deals where it's if if we never hear your name for a weekend, it's a good thing. And then every once in a while, when we have to hear your name, when something like this comes up, it, it it's it's front page news. So you guys kind of blow hot and cold up there. Either we don't talk about you at all, or all of a sudden you're the lead story. So it's uh it's a unique position for sure. Oh, absolutely, one hundred percent. But one changes for the world. We love what we do, and uh, we get to see a lot of cool stuff. Even if it is uh, something like this. <laughs> well, Brad, I appreciate you taking the time and uh, kind of getting us up to speed and bringing us inside that space between the starting line lanes. It was an epic moment of uh, Pro Stock in 2021, and frankly, uh, this will be forever documented in NHRA drag racing history as one of your signature moments as well. So, welcome to the history books. Well, uh, not the way I wanted to get in there, but one. <laughs> Brad, thanks so much, man. We'll see you in Brainerd, Minnesota. All right, buddy. Have a safe trip. So that's right from the horse's mouth. Brad Hardy's uh, recollection, his recounting of his role in the great Topeka Pro Stock burndown of 2021. So um, can't wait to see Pro Stock back again at the U.S. Nationals. We do not have them at Brainerd this weekend, which, again, will kind of um, expound and expand on this story as we anticipate what happens the next time Bruno races Bruno races Mason uh, McGahey. So uh, we're going to be watching this thing. And again, if you're not following on social media, it's insane. Like the, the internet has blown up over this thing. Multiple drivers have checked in. Guys who were former drivers have checked in. Everybody has an opinion on it. And that's what makes this awesome is it's one of the one of the most lightning rod subjects to ever come up in pro stock modern history. And boy, oh boy, has uh, has the internet eaten it up. All right, so our second guest in this episode of the NHRA Insider is a guy who is in the thick of one of the tightest funny car points battles in history, Mr. Matt Hagen. How you doing, Matt? Hey, brother. Thanks for having me on the show. Hey, so let's talk a little bit about this, dude. It's crazy. Like, right now you're sitting sixth in points, which uh, in other years might be a reason to be worried, but you're 68 points out of the lead. It's nuts. Yeah, it's, you know, it's so tight out there, and it's kind of like pro stock racing almost. You know, these crew chiefs have got these funny cars running so consistent. You know, you kind of dump a pile parts in the in the floor and they all pick different pieces but they all get them to run the same you know and it's uh it just goes to show you how smart these guys are with the rules and regulations that we have put upon us to make these cars run so consistent no it is wild and and the fact that uh the fact that we have this group of cars that really we've seen ron caps go from the sixth place to number one over the course of a single week so really i guess when when you're looking at this thing and kind of looking ahead to the countdown uh are you feeling comfortable where you're at? I mean, because what, what really needs to change for you to be able to say, okay, I'm 100% ready for this thing? Yeah, it's it's one of those things where, you know, it's going to be a battle. It's going to be a dogfight, and it's one of those things where you have to bring your A game to every round. I mean, there's no give me's out there. I mean, I know there's been a few, you know, um, buy runs here and there yeah. with not, not enough cars show up. But other than that, man, I mean, you watch Terry Haddock take out Caps the other right. day. I mean, just, <laughs> right. there's just no no buy runs, you know what I mean? It's, as far as when you're racing somebody else, there's no easy rounds. And uh, it just it's just a it's a dogfight, man. And I think that, you know, you have to go in there of, hey, I got to win every round and we need every point we can get and we have to scoop them up, even qualifying. I mean, I think that's something yeah. that, you know, me and Dickie talk about a lot is like, you know, trying to be low and, and scoop up one, two or three of those points, you know, because it does add up, you know, and 
don't get me wrong. I mean, there is a countdown, and I've won from the you know six or seven spot before, and or a couple times or whatever. So I understand that you just got to get hot at the end, but you know you do put yourself in a whole lot better situation when you roll in there one or two. Yeah, that's a fact. And you know we talk about the these cars that are jammed up in the top six, but really when we look at seven, eight, nine, and ten, they're still good cars. I mean, you had a you had your hands full of Blake Alexander last weekend. I want to talk about that run a little bit because obviously it didn't go your way. But dude, I don't know if me and Tony were in awe, man. I don't know if I've ever seen a guy pedal a funny car like you did last weekend. That was crazy. <laughs> oh, that's that's wild. I hadn't got to see it yet, but you know it's just one of those things where. Um, you know, you could feel it kicking around. It had some cylinders out. We, what Basically what happened after we got back through it was, uh, you know, it, it pretty much uh, broke a mag drive. And so, oh, wow. we, yeah, so usually we replace them every 50 runs, and that one had 72 runs on it. And, you know, just kind of slipped through the cracks a little bit. But, you know, and it cost us a round. But, yeah, it's a, those cars are a handful, man. And that's what makes them so cool to drive. You know what I mean? Like you just – you never know what ride you're going to take. It's kind of like – jumping out of a plane you're like man i sure hope i don't hit the ground very hard you know <laughs> yeah it was cool man because we went back and we we're running through the replays and tony was losing his mind because you know we were able to break it down pretty significantly watching the throttle kind of open and close and, and really what you were doing to try to get the thing down the racetrack and you know it's it's a situation where i know that as seasoned as you are sometimes you think blows the tires off and the other guy's long gone but this really you you had a fighting chance for this thing right up to the end which i think is what made it so wild yeah, I mean, I could see him right there, and we were running him down. I just ran out of racetrack, you know, and it's just one of those things where, you know, you got it squared back up and moving back in the right direction, and it's really tough a lot of times to, to wait for the car to settle and to kind of get back into it and not to jab it too hard or just to roll into it, and a lot of that stuff is just a feel thing, you know, and it's just, you know, sometimes I've got out, and I was like, damn, that was stupid, you know what I mean, or, <laughs> or like, yeah, that was a great decision, you know, and, and a lot of times you Monday quarterback it all the time, but you know, those situations happen and you don't have a whole lot of time to think about, well, is it smoking the tires or does it have cylinders out or is the clutch locked up? Or, I mean, you know, just a lot of, a lot of things that go through your mind in, you know, in a split second that you have to make a call on and, uh, and they're not always the right call, but you know, sometimes yeah. you get it right and you get it squared back up and you know, you win some rounds like that. But I'll say this, um, you know, I really feel confident with what Dickie's doing. Um, I know we've we've not really shown what you know we are capable of doing. We didn't come out this year and set the world on fire. We tried a bunch of different stuff in the uh, timing and and some different things like that uh, at the beginning of the year, and took us a little bit of time to get back on track. But I really, man, I'm, I'm telling you, I feel very very confident in the moves that Dickie's making, and you know my my lights have been great all year long. Yeah, so have. you know if, if we can if we can just get everything to kind of click. Um, and maybe it happens later, you know what I mean, or whatever. But I think it's going—it's right around the corner of us really starting to wear these boys out a little bit and, and gals, you know. But uh, it's just one of those things where you know. And speaking of gals, man, how about Alexis? I mean, oh, she's killing it. She's doing year. a great job yeah. driving, man. I mean, I'm really proud of that that gal. She's uh, she's just you know flexing out there and doing a good job and got a hell of a car underneath her, you know. So. Um, yeah, I mean, but, she's you know, it's had, always good to see women in funny cars, you know? Yeah, I mean, she's had she has the most aggressive car she's ever driven in her career this year, and she's been driving it very well, you know, to your yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. And you can see her lights start to come around, you know what I mean? it's It takes confidence of a car going on the racetrack for your lights to be great. And that's what I learned kind of early on is, you know, as Dickie started to put such a great car underneath me, you know, my lights would come around because I'm not thinking about anything, you know, as far as the car going down the racetrack or what do I got to do. It's more of a, hey, just focus on the start line. And I think you'll start to see that with her because she's got a really consistent car and she's yeah. one of the ones I look out for out there. 
Yeah, man, last Friday night was the best funny car session we've had all year. I mean, maybe maybe of, of any one, two, or three, but definitely for a Friday night session. Uh, can you speak to that at all? Because it was great. I mean, we've had some Friday night sessions where everybody goes up there and, and people miss it. I mean, it's just the way it goes. But last Friday night, it was it was badass. It was side-by-side runs, a lot of great kind of bumping and grinding with the order. It was It was cool. And, you know, that says a lot to NHRA of them putting the glue on the racetrack and putting a good service on there so we can put on a great show yeah. for these fans that are paying the hard-earned money to be there, you know. And, yep. uh, for me, I love it, man. I mean, I wish we ran all the time at night, you know. Me I mean, too. it's a little sketchy out there to see the finish line, you know. It's <laughs> wearing clutch. And it looks like a sandstorm inside the car, and you, you're you can look at that one little yellow light down there at the finish line. But other than that, I mean, it's just awesome, man. I mean, to see these things float, throw a six, eight-foot flame out the side of them and two cars running side by side i mean it doesn't really relate to what we do on race day but at the end of the day it's a it's a damn cool show for the fans oh it totally is and uh you know we're going to brainerd this weekend uh which is weirdly i figured you had but i had to go back into records you haven't actually won at brainerd you got a couple of final round appearances under your belt but you've not actually put one away up there Man, I thought I did. So you just ruined the whole day, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> but it's no, it's it, uh, we'll get it, man. There's a couple of tracks I haven't won at. You know, I mean, I've been doing this a while, and you know, eventually they roll around the longer you do it. And I feel like I'm going to be out here a few more years. I hope so, anyway. So we'll we'll have a few more cracks at everything. But I think that um, you know, Brainerd's a great you know racing surface uh you know it's one of those things where i'm not sure very many people come out to watch the races they do stay in the zoo and then they're they're hung over yeah. the next day but <laughs> but we're you know the ones that can a lot of the camping area and come over and watch some nitro we're gonna put on a hell of a show for them no it's, it's gonna be great and uh you know one last thing i want to get into is the last couple of races we've had like really cool stuff happen that's that's made a lot of conversation from race to race and obviously a couple weeks ago in Pomona it was you and John and everybody was talking about that for two weeks coming out of Topeka it's Bruno and, and the McGahey kid having their nine minute long <laughs> burn down or whatever but you're yeah. a sports fan you're an athlete you're a guy who's been around sports your whole life isn't this awesome this is what we need right we need something it, coming out of each freaking for, week yeah it is good for TV for our fans for everything for our sports for our sponsors you know what I mean it's not fake or anything like that and by any means it's not made up it's just we need that controversy and you know it's not we're not always gonna agree on things all right. the time i mean you know with force it was just i walked over and i was like hey man cut the shit and he didn't like what i said to him yeah. so you know so then he, he was over there poking me in my chest and telling me he's john force and he can do anything he wants and well, i mean he won last week so i guess he can do anything he wants but it's just one of those things where i didn't agree with it he didn't agree with what i was saying and you know so we're doing a agree to disagree but at the end of the day for me, it was just about respect. It wasn't about that we lost the round because, sure. you know, it didn't really have anything to do with the round. You know, we put a cylinder out that race and, you know, basically, it, you know, the, the starting line, I mean, I had 600s on him on the start line. So it wasn't about that. And even if we'd have won the race, I would have still walked over and been like, hey, dude, cut that mess out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there ain't no need for that jump. And the thing about it is, is like, everybody's like, well, you know, it's, it's the rules and you can do what you want. But, you know, if we did that as drivers to each other all the time, then we wouldn't be sitting here talking about it, right? Yeah. So it's like it doesn't happen very often. Yeah. And when it does, it's kind of like one of those things like, what are you doing, man? And if I would have been over there and said, hey, dude, cut that out. And he said, no problem, man. Won't happen again. You know, my bad, whatever. I was rolling it in, got too much, whatever. Bro, on with life. But, yeah. you know, it's just not John. And, and God love him, man. I mean, he's great for the sport. And, you know, but I don't have to bow down and kiss his butt either. You no. know what I mean? Like, it's just it's one of those things for me. It's like. I don't have respect. If you do that to me, I'm not going to respect you anymore. You know what I mean? I haven't been double bulbed in 15 years and I've never double bulbed anybody. 
I'm very capable and competent as a driver of knowing what I'm doing up there. So I feel like I have control over my race car, yeah. and I expect him to do the same. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's like the the most important thing in the world is the guy that the guy that shows up at the racetrack and buys a Matt Hagen crew jersey, spends his money on it, like you said, buying a ticket, comes in, he wants to support you. If you get out of your race car after something like that happens, and and basically don't care about it. Like that dude's gonna look around and go, "What am I? What am I doing this for?" Like I, I care about yeah. this guy winning. If this guy gets out of his car and doesn't care about, about getting, either it's disrespected, mistreated, whatever you want to call it. Like that to me, that's what we need. The idea of the fact that it matters whether you win or lose, and it matters whether oh, it some, does, some happens. I mean, you know, you know, I, I'm not driving this race car to make the money. I mean, I got businesses at home yeah. that I, you know need more attention than than where I'm at at the racetrack and can make a whole lot more money at home. I'm there because I love doing it, man, and I love turning that wind light on, a passion for the sport, putting on a show for our fans, and. You know, so it's just like, I do care. I mean, I wouldn't get on the plane and head that way if I didn't. You know, I mean, I have a lot more opportunity at home to, to help with my family's businesses. And, you know, there's 900 people here my dad supports, and he expects me to step up and help run it, you know. So it's kind of, you know, it's one of those things where I'm like, you know, I love racing. I want to be here. But when we're here, we're going to make it count, you know. And Absolutely. Kind of one kind of one of those things where, you know, the Bruno thing, I like to touch on that before we go. But yeah, sure. I think that's I think that's crap on NHRA's side of things, man. Like, they shouldn't DQ those guys, man. I mean, that's just my opinion. Sure. It's been, you know, it's been a thing of drag racing forever to to wait it out if you want to. I mean, it's, it's your problem if you run out of fuel and you burn up and, you know, but it's a show. And for them to kind of take that and say, hey, we're not going to wait nine minutes. I mean, I mean, people spill fuel and wait more than nine minutes. I know I've sat in the car for 40 minutes right. before, you know right. what I mean? Waiting on somebody to clean something up. So, like, give me a break, man. You know what I mean? Like, I think the starter just made it about him instead of about Bruno and the other guy. And, you know, and that's where it turned into an ego thing. And, you know, it just kind of went south. But I think they need to look at that and reevaluate that. And I'm not bashing in HRA because no, I don't, don't want to anything it. like that. But I'm just saying, I think there's, it's just bull crap, man. I mean, that's just – our sport's always been like that, and it should be allowed to be like that still. Yeah, listen, I, I think that the, the the confrontation itself was one thing, but this discussion that's happened after has been the best part of the whole thing because there are people there are people that will go to their grave saying, you know what, the starter did the right thing. There are people that are on your side of the argument that said, no, he screwed this whole thing up and he should have either let him refuel and run or he should have just not done nothing and let him sit there and burn it down and, or, or melt him down. And – you know, to me, the best part about this is at some point these guys are gonna have to race each other again. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure, it's gonna be a great show. No different than like me and John gonna have to race yep. each other, you know. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's just one of those things where I think that you know we're here, we're a showman. You know, one time yeah. a long time ago, I blew up and to put this in perspective. And uh, you know, I'd, I'd cut my head open and I was bleeding. I was sitting in the back of the ambulance and. And uh, Don comes over, and he's like, you good? I'm like, yeah, I'm good. So he's like, i got to go back and get in the car again here pretty soon, you know, and trying to get my, my, my eyebrow to stop bleeding. And, and uh, you know, John John rides up and opens up the ambulance, and Mr. John Forrest, and he says, hey, kid, you good? And I said, yes, sir, I'm good. And he says, well, I'm going to tell you. He said, there's one thing about it out here. He's like, you know, you don't get a whole lot of TV time. He said, next time you blow up and you're on fire like that, he said, roll around on the ground act like you're on fire. He said, <laughs> <laughs> I said, John, I said, you're crazy, man. But, I mean, I put that in perspective, yeah. though. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, why yeah. does some of his cars, a lot of times, don't they stop on the track and get pushed off so they can be seen on TV and different things? Just a lot of different things that you do as a showman to put on a show to get TV time to, 
get air for your sponsor, you know? No, absolutely, man. And uh, you've done a fine job of that with uh, SRT Dodge and Mopar this year and the and the beautiful Hellcat Charger that you race. And I appreciate you taking the time, man. It's always great to chat with you. And uh, I, I, I love the fact you're weighing in on some different things here. And listen, man, I wish you all the luck this weekend. And maybe you can uh, – Maybe we'll give you an axe and a wally if you win this weekend. Paul well, Bunyan. Dude, well, thanks for reminding me. Now I got to really hustle. I haven't won Brainerd. You know what I mean? Like, put a damper on my day. I got to step up my game. Matt Hagan, thanks so All much, right, man. Brother. Thank you, man. Well, that was a great conversation with Matt, and uh, always good to get his perspective on things. It's cool. Once again, somebody else weighing in on the Bruno Mason McGahey burndown situation. Everybody's got their opinion, as I mentioned, and uh, they are all interesting to listen to. Whether you agree or disagree with what somebody's saying, the fact that we're talking about this still uh, days and days after the race, and we'll still be talking about it by the time we get to Indy, makes it uh, a very valuable part of the puzzle of NHRA Camping World Drag Racing in 2021. It is going to be a fantastic weekend at Brainerd. Weather looks great, looks fairly cool and temperate, which means that place should be gnarly fast. It was only a few years ago we showed up on Sunday morning and it was 55 degrees with a tailwind. Doesn't look like it's going to be like that this particular weekend, but it should be really fast. Remember, qualifying live on Friday night, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern on FS1, and then you'll have qualifying action on FS1 on Sunday from noon to 1 p.m., and then elimination rounds 3 p.m. Eastern to 6 p.m. Eastern on Fox Broadcast Network. So go to your local Fox affiliate to watch the actual race 3 p.m. Sunday afternoon from Lucas Oil, the Lucas Oil Nationals, I should say, from Brainerd International Raceway in Brainerd, Minnesota. The whole tour is headed that way, and so aren't I. Thanks for listening to this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. Kind of a quick one as we are turning around quick race to race. We'll be back with some more in-depth coverage next week. It's an off week before we get ready to go to the U.S. Nationals coming up in the first weekend of September. That will be a big one, but Brainerd is our first step there. Thanks for listening, and I hope you watch this weekend, and we'll talk about it all next week.